We're going to pray. Uh, sometimes we take some time for everyone to, to have some time to pray, but we're going to do that at the end of our sermon today, just uh, so we can kind of respond to what the Lord um, speaks to us today. How are you guys doing? You guys ready? All right. All right. Let's, let's pray for our study, and then we'll get into it. Father, we come before you. We humble ourselves greatly before you, because uh, if we approach you with pride, you, you have to cut us off. You have to uh, separate yourself. And Lord, we don't, um, we want to draw near. So Lord, we humble ourselves. We acknowledge that we need you. We need your spirit. We need your, your love. We need your identity. We need all that you have uh, so freely offered to give us. We need it. We hunger and thirst for your righteousness and for your love and for your uh, peace and, and all the things that um, come with, with being close to you. So God, we pray that you would uh, fill every word that, we, that uh, I say right now with, with just exactly what you want us to hear. Uh, even myself, Lord, I pray that I would be transformed by, um, by your words. Uh, thank you for the promise that you say if we gather together in your name that you are right here with us. And God, we don't deserve such a blessing. We uh, have never, could never, and have never earned it. But God, we receive it with open arms and uh, empty hands right now just, just to receive your love. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, today's uh, study, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and it's called Faithful Friends and Finding Forgiveness. Uh, four Fs. Faithful Friends and Finding Forgiveness. There you go. <clears throat> when I was in junior high, I uh, listened to a band called Super Drag. Anyone ever hear them? Well, they only had one. Uh, they were a cheap, like, Weezer knockoff. Tells you a lot about me, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I even listened to such things. But Super Drag, uh, I, I really liked them. They had one famous song. All the rest of the songs uh, really were terrible because, uh, and I know because I bought the album you know, hoping, you know, when you're like, oh, I found the next big, awesome band, and, and then you buy the album. This was before, like, the internet, uh, so I bought the CD, and, and uh, every song on it was just terrible. It was just a horrible garage band from some, like, really in a garage. But they had one song that was pretty good. It was called Who Sucked Out the Feeling? And when I, when I heard that song, I was like, oh, it was a pretty good song. Who sucked out the feeling? You remember that song? Anyone remember? You do? Can you play it on piano? Okay, well, I think I'm sure you could. Well, I, I thought that song was pretty interesting, you know? Uh, it was like kind of this honest confession of, of the author, you know, that nothing really made him happy, um, even though he was living his dream of being a rock star. It was like uh, someone had sucked out the feeling, you know? It was like, who sucked out the feeling? And he just, that was the whole song, the whole chorus. He just kept saying, who sucked out the feeling? Yeah, well, I bring this up because joy is, is hard to find sometimes. Why is joy so hard to find? It's almost like something has been sucked out of, of our experiences that we think should bring us joy. Uh, like, like anyone gotten a new job and been really excited about having a new job and like, yeah, this is great. And then two weeks later, you're like, what have I done? I hate this job. I, it, it's someone has sucked out the joy, the feeling, the 
it's just, it's, it's a common experience among all of us. Um, you know, why is depression uh, more common than we care to admit? And why, do, why is it so often hidden by those who suffer with it? You know, because there's a kind of this innate embarrassment of, I'm depressed, but I don't really want you to know I'm depressed. Or sometimes we're embarrassed of it. We get ashamed of our lack of joy and our lack of fulfillment. There's like an argument that happens in our brain. I should be happy. I have a wife and kids and a house and I live in America. But I'm not happy. And, and, and we are, it's like this conflict. Why is that happening? We write sad poems and, and melancholy songs. David wrote his share of, of sad psalms. Psalm, you ever read Psalm 88? Read that when you're having a bad day. Jeremiah wrote an entire book called Lamentations where he just cries the whole time. You know, and it could, it could be an emo soundtrack for sure. Well, I blame Satan and Adam and Eve. I guess there's a lot of blame to go around, okay? Uh, remember, I want you guys, let's go, let's travel back in our time machine. Uh, I don't know if you know, this room is a time machine. So we're going to travel back to the garden where Adam and Eve were living the dream. You remember that? Can you see it? You know, them walking around, you know, naked and happy and not ashamed uh, have everything that they need. They were, they were truly happy. They had everything they need. They, there was no sickness. There was no death. There was no sorrow. There was no sin. There was no shame. Nothing wrong at all. Uh, they were completely fulfilled. Think about that word. Fulfilled. They had a perfect relationship with each other of completion. They were perfectly fulfilled. Adam loved Eve, and Eve adored Adam. And, and the source of all this joy and fulfillment that they were experiencing was God. Um, he was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He would spend real time with them, and they were spending time in his presence. And, and in that, they were fulfilled and had joy. Adam would bring his questions of the day to, to his Lord and, and, and God was happy to give answers and to provide the things that Adam needed, the things that his son needed. But the constant reality of each day was this pure ecstasy of being in God's presence. It was the definition of joy, fulfillment, or companionship. If we were to read Psalm 1611, it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This was Adam's life. God was happy. And God made him happy. So Adam was living a happy life. Happiness was his experience. There was no chasing dreams. Adam wasn't chasing anything for fulfillment. He was just existing as being fulfilled. There was no dull ache of the unfulfillment that we feel. We're very um, used to the feeling that dull, like, ah, there's just, I'm not fulfilled 
in my job, in my relationships, in my life. Adam was in God's presence, and so he was deeply, passionately full of joy. There was no thirst for more joy. There was no lingering thought that it could be better somewhere else. He never had that that thought, the grass is always greener in the other garden. He, He knew that he was at the pinnacle of life, of joy. And this is the life that God actually intended for humanity to experience. So when people say, why, why did God make it this way? Why, did, why do we have so much pain and suffering and sorrow in the world? Why would God do that? That's not his intention. His intention was this full, complete, fulfilling joy in his presence. That's where it comes from. But you know the sad story, how Satan deceived this content couple into thinking that they were missing out on something. You remember that? That there was something God was keeping from them. You would be happier. You would be more fulfilled if only you disobeyed. God is trying to keep something from you that would make you more happy. So through their rebellion, sin separated man from the God he used to walk with in communion, the God of joy. The the glory of God was now hidden from them, and they quickly forgot how truly content and fulfilled they used to be. Their joyful life became a legend. And their new reality was always craving for something else. Always, never satisfied, broken, depressed, a sad, sorry excuse for the life they had once enjoyed. I bet you Adam and Eve had so much regret and shame. You know, we, we have it described like this. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were cast out, and angels with flaming swords were put in front of the garden to keep them from coming back into God's presence. All of this, all of this brokenness and all of this craving and all of this depression was because they were no longer in God's presence. And again, this is not what God wanted or intended. And the rest of the story from from Genesis chapter 2 and 3 all the way to the end is a big long epic of God restoring us back into his presence. To do this, God had to destroy the thing that separates himself from man. What is that thing? Sin, right? God must fully eliminate it, and he does that on the cross. On the cross, his fury, uh, the fury of the holy God, was unleashed upon this precious life of Jesus, his own son. You know, darkness fell. It says he was dark across the whole earth, and Jesus was separated from his father so that we 
could be reunited with him. Jesus drank the fullness of sorrow. You've never really felt sorrow like he has. He drank the full cup of sorrow and suffering so that we can drink the fullness of joy in God's presence. The cries of the Son of God, the perfectly humble servant of God, were rejected when he said, My Father, what are you doing? God did not listen to his cries for mercy so that you and your cries could be accepted, so that you could be heard. God rejected his own son so that you could be adopted as his sons and daughters. Amen. God desired to forgive us. To forgive our sin. And forgiveness is the door we walk through to get this joy back again. The way that Adam and Eve experienced this joy, it is available to you and to me today. And, the, and what we need to, to understand is forgiveness is the path to true joy again. There's been many people throughout the ages who have been condemned to die, maybe by uh, being hung or being shot or some other form of execution, you know, and, and beheaded or whatever. And, and many of these people who are condemned and they know they're about to die, they're hard-hearted and they're bitter. They're like, oh, you know, kind of stressed out. And as their, their fate approaches and, they, and they're coming up to the gallows, they're, they're not happy. Obviously, right? You can understand why. Then, at the last moment, the good news of pardon is called out sometimes. You're forgiven. And these same people melt with overwhelming joy because of forgiveness. Forgiveness. The overwhelming joy of forgiveness is too much for the heart to contain and tears flow out of the eyes and they have life again. And they're like, what? I'm forgiven? It's funny how they don't complain about their difficulties nearly as much after that experience. Life is more alive. It's more sweet their life has been transformed. Forgiveness is the only thing that can do the miracle of transforming a hard, bitter heart whose life is difficult and sorrowful to a heart that is soft, full of joy, willing to suffer, and, and has a source of joy in their, inside them that's welling up, springing up like a like an everlasting spring. Forgiveness is what does that. And it's the same with Christians, believers in Christ today. The more we feel and see and hear about the free forgiveness that we have been granted through the blood of Jesus, the more we melt and our sorrows dissolve away. That's the truth. How long has it been since you 
melted before your Father in heaven. The curse has sucked out the joy that we once had by sucking us out of God's presence. The curse of sin. But Jesus has killed that curse in his own body on the cross. And so he has brought forgiveness to us. And so we are invited back into God's presence where there is fullness of joy. Like our our psalm said, in his presence is a little bit of joy. Is that what it said? What did it say? Fullness of joy. So with that being our introduction, don't worry, uh, let's get into our text, which is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In his presence is fullness of joy. Let's read. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive him, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. All right, so Jesus preaches the word to them. What word do you think Jesus was preaching? New rules they had to keep? Ha, ha, ha. No. Mark has already told us what Jesus preaches every time he preaches, which is the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And we've studied, what does that mean? Isaiah 61, chapter, chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, that, that Jesus came to preach this kingdom where he's forgiving people, he's healing people, he's loving people, he's, he's restoring people, he's fixing everything that we broke. That's this all-around message that Jesus is preaching every time he's preaching. So Mark skips the whole, maybe Sermon on the Mount, maybe the whole, like all the specific things Jesus says, and he just says he was preaching the word to them. This good news that all God's promises are coming true now, and I'm bringing them now, and it's going to happen now. I have a plan in place to fix everything that is broken. So people are down with that. They're liking that. Many people are really excited to hear about it. And this idea is growing that Jesus is actually the Messiah who is going to bring all of God's salvation to pass. People are starting to really think, I think it's Jesus. I think this is the guy. So many people, including religious scribes, are here and and they come together. When they hear Jesus, they're checking him out. These scribes even, they're like, we've been reading the word. Their job was writing the Bible over and over and over. And they were really into this. And they're like, we want the promises of God to be fulfilled as well. So they're coming to check out Jesus. And look what happens. And they came to, uh, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him, see those two words? Because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So here is a man who is unable to do anything for himself. We don't know how he got this way or how long he's been paralyzed, but we know he's got four pretty good friends. All right? And we know that their aim was to get him into the presence of Jesus. That's their goal. That's their aim. We just got to get him into Jesus. Maybe they had read this verse that morning in their devotions. The Psalm one. 
that says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And maybe when they looked at their friend, paralyzed, they're like, you don't look very happy. We're going to take you to Jesus. How about that? Maybe that was their plan. Who knows? Remember back to the Garden of Eden and God's presence, where all of our joy and our fulfillment and our needs are met in his presence. If we need anything, God will provide it by his grace in his presence. Maybe they were his family. You know, maybe they just, maybe they weren't his family and they were just people who saw how sad he was. And Jesus is literally the happiest person in the world. How do you know that? The Bible says he is anointed with the oil of joy more than his fellows, which means he was the happiest person ever to live. Is that how you picture Jesus? Or do you picture Jesus as the somber, like, Most people have this vision of Jesus. It's pictured that he was like, be gone from me, or, or I heal you. Like he kind of always sang, you know. But he was literally just the happiest person. He was always joking with people. He, uh, I love this. Maybe they're just like, Jesus is so happy, you've got to come see. He's like a stand-up comedian. And he just does awesome things all the time. Let's take you, because you're having a bad day. Let's take you right to Jesus. Maybe he'll rub off on you. Notice, these guys do not say anything. And that's crazy. They don't ask for healing. They don't ask for forgiveness. They just drop their buddy into Jesus' lap while he's teaching a Bible study. Just imagine this. They probably dropped him, is what I think. They were trying, and then one of the guys like, ah! He probably just fell right here, right? So if he wasn't paralyzed before. <laughs> and this paralyzed guy is strangely silent as well. He doesn't say anything. Because I think what we're going to find is that his request lies deep in his heart. The thing that he most desires is deep, deep in here. So much so that, that he's in his presence and he can't even say what he wants because he's a bit confused and a bit overwhelmed and I'm not sure even how to say this. But Jesus hears it loud and clear. Because Jesus is God, right? And Jesus is proving that he's God here in this whole story. So it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. So Mark here tells us that all five of these guys had faith when he saw their faith. Mark brilliantly highlights the way Jesus blows everybody's minds with his love here in this story. With one word, Mark writes this word, son. He didn't have to put that word in there, but he remembered it because it was crazy. And everyone, when they heard that word, they were like, what are you saying? How can you say that, Jesus? Jesus, full of love and compassion, says, 
son. This one word speaks volumes to the the man who heard it. Son. Son? This word speaks of acceptance. Jesus is giving this man permission to have a different identity besides paralytic. I don't see you as a paralytic. I don't see you as a sad set of consequences because this happened and that happened and you did this and this is what you get. I don't see you like that, Jesus says. Jesus is calling this man a fellow son or a brother. Because Jesus lives by faith in his heavenly father, right? So Jesus is the perfect son of God. And now this man has also chosen to approach God in faith and, and humble dependence. And so this man has, has become a son like Jesus. Son, Jesus would say, you are welcome in my presence. I'm so glad you ripped off the ceiling and destroyed Peter's house. He doesn't need it anyway. I'm so glad you are here. I know it was difficult for you to get here. I know there was obstacles you had to overcome. I know that some people didn't assist you in your journey to me. You came to the door and people were like, I'm not moving for you. Should have been here earlier. Consequences for your actions, lazy punk. But you have four friends that did assist you, that did love you. But you are welcome here with me, Jesus is saying. I see you. I've always seen you. And I know you. I know you better than anybody knows you. And I know you better than you even know yourself. You see, all the people watching probably thought that, probably think, Jesus speaking, that your deepest need is to be healed. But I know that deep inside your heart, what you're most concerned about, what is really bothering you, and what you're really worried about is you're really desperate to be forgiven. That's the deepest need. And so Jesus, knowing this man, loving this man, says, I'm going to meet your deepest need first. I'm going to meet it. Men cannot enjoy anything when they feel guilty. Did you know that? They can't live the life that's right in front of them. Because our hearts are frustratingly honest when it comes to guilt. You can't run from that voice in your heart that says you're wrong and you're guilty. No matter how many excuses we make, we can never move forward with our experience of joy uh, the joy of the Lord uh, until we know his forgiveness. And we can pursue so many other things to try to bring us joy. And what is going to be the end result of every single one of those things? Disappointment and, and sorrow. And so we say, oh, don't, you know, don't become an alcoholic because then, you know, you're, you're chasing after something and it's going to end bad. And we're not trying to make a rule. We're trying to say, Jesus is what you're really seeking. 
Jesus is the only thing that would ever truly give you rest, give you joy, fulfillment, and companionship. No other person, no other person can do this. No matter what relationship it is that you're putting your hopes and your dreams, I'm so committed to this relationship or this thing, it will always end with death. Death to our own joy. And God weeps and grieves because he knows the depth of the pain that you're feeling. And he says, I know that the root core of it is just forgiveness is, is all you need. And if you would accept it, I am tossing it out like it's Mardi Gras. I want to give it. I want to forgive you. I know that this guy had maybe not articulated all of these needs to Jesus. And maybe he hadn't even set them in order in his own heart, but it doesn't matter. Jesus sets all my, he sees all my needs and he can do what I need even if I don't understand it. All that's required is faith. That's all that's required of me. Jesus, I'm a total mess and I don't even know where to start being fixed. I don't know what you're going to do. But I have to come to you and say, you got to do it. I can't fix myself. So much of of the world's psychological system says, you got to understand what's wrong before you can fix it. And Jesus says, no, that's stupid. I didn't create you to have to understand something. I created you to be loved. And I love you. And in my presence is fullness of joy. But you don't understand what I went through and what I've been. And you don't understand and I don't understand. Jesus says, I understand more than you. And I have the solution. I am the solution. So come into my presence and receive the solution. Right? Amen. Only faith, not rule-keeping. The only thing required is faith, not understanding, not, not passion. Oh, I really want to be a better person. I want to please God. God's like, I don't care what you want. I've made one way, and it's not you wanting it more. It's you humbling yourself to receive my grace. That's always the way. Some people are like, oh, but I'm wanting, if I'm passionate for Jesus, then surely that's going to get me something in the kingdom of God. And it's, it's actually a roundabout way of being prideful and self-sufficient, saying, I have more passion than those losers that don't ever try hard. Right? God says it's not who, him who wills, but it's me. Um, it's not making no, new commitments. God's not asking you to make commitments to him. He's asking you to receive his love. It's not making promises to him. Do you know God never asks you to make him promises? He makes promises to you and says, just believe them. Believe my promises. That's what I'm asking you to do. He never asks you to say, I promise you I'll never do that again. Because what do we do every time? Do it again, right? 
So he says, I'm going to take away all the rules. You never have to promise me that you're going to, do, that you're going to not do the thing again because I've removed that way of relating to me. The new way of relating to me is by my grace, which is you come to me and say, I need you and I trust you. And I say, great, I'll do everything for you. Now, I bring up that law-keeping part because it says in our text, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. See, they, their hearts have been committed to one way, which is what the way the priests had been teaching them, the way they were understanding Scripture, which was you have to obey all God's rules in order to have a relationship with Him. And Jesus is coming and tearing that up right now. And they're, they're having a hard time. They're, we're seeing a lot of heart conversations going on here, and that's, that's how the Spirit does His work, is in the heart. The man, he, he's healed and forgiven in his heart. And, and the scribes, they're wrestling with spiritual questions in their heart. It's a good thing that God can see our heart, huh? Or else these would be some weird conversations. <laughs> Why does this, they say this, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? All right, so, well, they would be perfectly right in their understanding um, if this was just a man. They'd be right, right? So, but he's God, Jesus is God, so he can forgive sins. And again, notice that their lack of faith in who Jesus is, is what keeps these religious people from correct doctrine. Their lack of faith in who Jesus is. They actually think Jesus is the Messiah, but they're not listening. Jesus is saying, for me to be the Messiah, I have to be God. And for them, that doesn't work because God is not man. Man is not God. So for them, it's like, this does not make sense. So they, they're refusing to have faith in Jesus and that is messing up their theology. Having simple faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to correctly understand and apply Scripture. Their lack of faith in Jesus is keeping them from an experience of joy that this simple paralytic has just experienced. The joy of being accepted and welcomed as a son of God and forgiven. He's got that joy now. And, and they're having a really hard time. They're not happy because they're not seeing that Jesus is all that they need. Immediately it says, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned with us within themselves. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus calls them out, these scribes, on their lack of faith in him. Because look, he says, both of these things are impossible for men to say you're forgiven and to heal someone. Both of them are impossible. So when he says, which one is easier? He's saying, guys, you're not stupid. You're not dumb. You're smart. You're scribes. You know what is going on here. I forgive him and I'll prove to you that I'm God. I'll heal him. 
He does two things to prove that he's God. Also, he can hear their thoughts in, in his heart, right? That, that also kind of proves it. These scribes aren't dumb. They know he just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's God and the Messiah. But how amazing is it that even if we're sure that Jesus is the way, sometimes we do not surrender to him as our Lord and follow him. Even though they're like, whoa, I've never seen that before. It doesn't say any of them followed him. It doesn't say that. They're having a hard time. Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. Yet again, dear friend, remember that the pardon of sin is the guarantee of every other blessing. When Christ said, your sins are forgiven you, was there any question at all as to whether the paralytic man would be healed? Certainly not. For the love which had forgiven the sufferer's sin was there to prompt the Savior to say afterwards, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So, dear friend, if your sin is pardoned, it is true concerning you that no good thing will God withhold from you, from those who walk uprightly, and that all things work together for the good to you who love God, to you who are called according to his purpose. Everything between here and heaven is secured by the covenant of grace for your best benefit, and so you can sing. You know only happy people sing? Only people who have joy in their hearts sing. Unless it's like death metal, I guess. But it's not really singing. It's like... <laughs> Forgiveness is the key that opens the door for us to have fellowship with God which is the source of joy. And it will transform us. We're going to look now at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us, what? Draw near. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Guys, these four friends of the paralytic, they show us what it means to consider one another and to exhort one another. They love their friend. They brought their friend to Jesus. They didn't try to fix everything themselves. They had real faith, not in themselves and not in their own plans, but in Jesus alone, just who he was. They show us what it means to exhort a weak brother. Have you ever thought about that? How can I... Ah, 
this brother or this sister is really weak right now. They're really falling a lot. They're really messing up. They're screwing up. How do I come alongside them? I want you, whenever that situation happens, I want you to think of these four guys. We don't even get their names. But think about them. Because the word exhort, here in our text, exhorting one another, this word exhort means to come alongside of. Isn't that exactly what these guys did? To come alongside. It's awesome. They came alongside of their brother and brought him to Jesus. And he says, as you see the day approaching. And is your, in your Bible, do you see the word day is capitalized? Do you know what that means? It's not just the word day. It's a person. And who is the person who is the light of the world? Jesus. He's the day. He says, if you see the day, if you know where the day is, if you know where Jesus is, bring your friends to him, into his presence. Does that mean bring them to church? No, it does not. Bring him into his presence, which means you need to be in his presence. Come alongside them. You need to know the way into his presence. Do you know the way into his presence? I'm t- it's not through these doors. It is not through these doors. It's the door of forgiveness. Do you know you've been forgiven? Do you know how you've been forgiven? Walk your friends through that door. They need it. We all need it. Jesus always has the same response to faith, in who he is. Jesus will always heal and pour out grace, love, and acceptance and free grace, free forgiveness. Always. Anyone who approaches Jesus and says, I believe in you, your God, and I need you to forgive me, Jesus never says, hmm, are you serious? Are you sure? No. He accepts anyone who comes to him. How awesome is that? So the big question right now is how do we get into his presence in 2019 in Denver, Colorado when he's in heaven and I'm in Denver because this is not heaven. I want to read part of that text again in Hebrews. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us, what? Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We can boldly Enter the life-giving presence of God today by a new and living way. It's available. The way that God bought this way for us, the price he paid was the precious blood of Jesus. He bought this free, open door for us. There used to be a veil that separated God's presence from the people. And when Jesus died, God 
reached down and tore that veil and says, you all have access into my very presence, the life-giving, joy-giving, fulfilling presence of me is available to you now by my blood. And all we need to do is humbly accept it, receive it. And then he says, draw near, draw near. Luke, Jesus tells us in Luke 22.20 that this new way that he bought with his blood is called the new covenant. And you know that's my favorite term in the whole world. We talk about it all the time. And he purchased it for us with his blood, which means it's the whole point of his life and death. And how much do we talk about the new living way that we have? How much do we rejoice in the free access we have to forgiveness and all things that God has ever promised us? It's free. It's right there for us to access. And it seems like it's something we just forget. And the more we forget it, the further we get away from remembering His free grace, what we drift towards every time is performance-based religion. We do it all the time. We, we wake up in the morning and we're like, okay, what do I need to do? Stop right there. If we would just stop thinking we need to do anything, and we would remember the cross. Jesus said, when you take communion, remember what I've done until I come again. Taking communion is not a work. It's, a, it's receiving his work. His work. It's not doing something to make God happy with you. It's accepting that he already is happy with me, which is amazing because I'm an idiot and I do everything wrong. And yet he calls me his son and he never leaves me or forsakes me. And he is faithful when I am faithless. It's his gospel, not my good works. His good news, not my good works. Our response to this free offer of grace is to draw near to God in faith knowing that we are forgiven and we're purified by his blood. So, now we're going to have a time of drawing near to God. Okay? We're going to, worship team, you can come up and, and just give us some music for a little bit. And uh, we're going to just have a time of, of just prayer and bringing our needs before God and drawing near to God, worshiping him. Singing. Remember, only someone who's happy can sing, right? So as we sing these songs, we are accepting that he accepts us as his children and he loves to hear his children sing. You ever been here when we had the kids come up and sing? They're so out of tune. They're so, they, they don't know the words. They're just kind of terrible at singing sometimes. But it's like literally the happiest thing for us as their parents because they're dancing and they're smiling and as their parents our hearts overwhelm with joy think about your father in heaven when you've had a bad day 
when you've been struggling and when you've been, been in the, the, just the war of being condemned by the devil for your sins. And think about when you say, Jesus, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to start singing. I'm just going to start lifting my hands of faith to you. And I trust that you're healing me and you're forgiving me. Do you know what God does? He weeps for joy. It says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he dances around spinning in heaven. He doesn't sit on his throne. Yeah, that's what I thought. He says, my child, my son, I'm over, you overwhelm me with one look of your eyes. I am overcome. I love you. And I'm so happy that you accept what my son Jesus has done for you. And he dances around spinning just, yeah, just like all the people at the football games are going to do today when their team scores a touchdown. Yeah. And a million different levels higher, our father rejoices when we put our hope and trust in him, when we accept his love. So let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes. And for a few moments, we're just going to enter the presence of Almighty God by the faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. In the presence of our God, lift up the cry of your heart for his freedom, for his forgiveness. What is it that you need to be forgiven for? What is it that you have been convicted and condemned for? The moment you come into his presence and confess it, he has already forgiven it. And the forgiveness, it casts it as far as the east is from the west. It it casts it forever away. In fact, it casts that sin into the very body of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it nails it there. And as Jesus breathes his last breath and he says, It is finished. And the curtain is torn. Our access to heaven is and to the presence of God is given freely. So call out to Jesus from your heart for forgiveness, and it will be given right now. You will be fully cleansed by Jesus. Anyone who'd like to pray has, has the freedom right now. We will all pray with you. We all support each other. Uh, we're all those four friends coming with each other to the presence of Jesus. So anyone who would like to pray, any prayer at all right now, uh, you have some time right now. Just speak up loud so we can all hear you.